on this very important subject of relationships, marriage and relationships. We've entitled the series, I Do, I Don't, I Will, I Won't, because most of us don't when we do and do when we don't, and we get all confused about how do we do relationships in our world. And so what we've described is that the world, the society, our society uh, around us that we have come to believe has, knows what they're talking about, that they have prescribed a pathway for relationships. They have described and prescribed to us a, uh, a way, a road to travel that will lead us to good relationships and good marriages. And what we've all discovered together, I think any thinking, feeling human being would say, well, wait a minute, but that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. 53% of marriages end in divorce. 80% of second marriages in a divorce. So whatever we're doing in terms of traveling on this path, as I say, this is the way you do it, it's not working. So what we're trying to talk about through God's Word this, uh, these weeks is if that pathway does not lead to the destination that we want to be at, sexual brokenness, marriages that are unhealed and unhealthy, diseases, everything else, if we don't want to get to that destination... We have to travel, travel a different road, a different pathway. And so we, God says, here's the way to go. This is the way I walk, and I want you to walk in the light therein. So that's what we, the premise that we've been working at uh, for these uh, weeks uh, that we've been doing this. So today the message is on sexual purity. Does sexual purity matter? Uh, before we start, I, I, wanna, I like the story of a little girl who uh, came up to her grandma, and she said, Grandma, I want to know uh, how old you are, you know. And Grandma said, well, sweetie, uh, you know, it's not polite to ask ladies their age. She said, well, but Grandma, I know that you were born in 1950. So Grandma was kind of taken back by that. And she said, Grandma, um, how much do you weigh? She said, now, sweetheart, we never talk about how much a woman weighs, so don't even go there. She said, well, Grandma, I happen to know that you weigh 156 pounds. Grandma said, well, how on earth did you learn how much I weigh and when I was born? She said, well, Grandma, I confess that I, I found your purse and I was kind of snooping around in your purse. I found your wallet and I looked at your wallet and I looked at your driver's license. And Grandma, I know that you, I, I not only know that you were born in 1950 and that you weigh 156 pounds, I also know that you got an F in sex. If you don't understand, ask your neighbor. Okay. Well, I think if we look at our society today, we would have to say probably the same thing that uh, we generally tend to get an F in sex. Today, like last Sunday, I want to ask you to do something a little bit different. This kind of sermon sometimes has to do with feelings. I want this much more to be about thinking and recognizing. Okay, and again, the, the, big, the big picture, the big idea, the umbrella idea is, okay, this pathway that the world has prescribed doesn't work. So if it doesn't work, how can we as individuals and teach our children and our grandchildren to go a different pathway? And, and that's what we want to look at. So uh, I want you to put your thinking caps on and use your brains, and uh, hopefully that will uh, give some new insight to you that I think will help. I also want to say this as we begin. Um, in our church, we never desire to beat anybody up. Okay. My experience has been that for most of us, maybe all of us, there has been sexual things in our pasts and our present that aren't good, that are ugly, that we feel shame and guilt about. 
our purpose today is not to identify those and shine a light on them. That, you've already done that. You already know that. Okay. Here's my purpose today. It's to say that, okay, that didn't work for you. So what does work? And God says, I have a very specific way of looking at sexuality and looking at relationships that will literally blow your mind, that will make you realize, wow, this really is a gift from God. This really is something beautiful. When we put it in the context and the fence of a, uh, a marriage relationship that can last a lifetime. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me start by uh, giving you a scripture. Well, actually, before we do that, let me, let me do a little uh, review with you and uh, kind of get your feedback. Um, so does sexual purity matter? Think about that for a moment in your own mind. Okay, you're answering questions. Yeah, I think so, but I'm not sure and like that. So let me give you some examples. And you, in your mind, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, in your mind decide whether it matters or not. Okay, in the context of does sexual purity matter, how about pornography? Okay, so the world says that pornography, it's a $7 billion business. The world says that pornography is benign. Okay, it's just there. It's, it's, neither, it's amoral. It's neither good nor bad. Now, some people say it's bad. Some people say it's good. But most people say, well, it's just kind of part of society. It's just kind of... So, so how do you feel about pornography? In the area of pornography, does sexual purity matter? Now, I happen to believe it does, but I'm just wondering in your own mind what you think. Does it matter? Is it benign or is it harmful? Okay, here's another thing. How about multiple sex partners before marriage? Again, society says, this pathway says, no, it's perfectly okay. You've got you know, you to drive the car before you buy it, kind of a deal. You've know? you got to see if you're sexually compatible. So the world says, this, well, but you get to the end of that road and it's disaster. Our society is, it's disaster. We, we don't... What on earth happened to, uh, you know, fidelity and, 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 and sexual purity? And, those kind of, and it's kind of disastrous. So, so would, would you think that that's okay? Some people think it's okay. Some people don't. So in your own mind, does sexual purity matter with regard to multiple sex partners before marriage? How about this? Adultery. Um, society says it's wrong. They say that, but the way they live, they're saying, well, we don't really mean that. It's not wrong. It's just two consenting adults deciding to, you know, leave somebody else and go to somebody else. No, it's kind of, a, again, it's benign. It's no big deal. So two consenting adults. And how about this? Our, our teenagers. Now, now this gets a little bit creepy, you know, for some of us, because thinking about myself, you know, well, yeah. now I start thinking about a 16-year-old grandson or 15-year-old, how old is Jaden? 15-year-old grandson and a, an 11-year-old granddaughter. And I'm thinking about them. Now it gets a little wonky for me. I'm kind of thinking, wow, maybe I do believe in sexual purity. And what about those kids? Because kids today, they have so much more pressure than you did when you were a kid. So much more. I mean, the internet has made sex so accessible and so visible and so real. Kids are sexting. They're hooking up. They're doing everything. They call it outer sex whether it's oral sex or everything, they're doing everything and they don't even consider it sex. You know, thanks Bill Clinton for that, right? And all of these kind of weird, and these kids are learning this from age 11. I hope you're hearing this. Now, where are they learning about sex? They're not learning from you. They should be. And, and I know maybe some of you have even tried, but they're learning from their peers at school. So is that okay? Is, does sexual purity matter for your children, for your teenagers? So... Uh, with all that in your mind, I want you to let that kind of simmer for a bit. 
Because our actions as a society tell us that these things don't matter. The purity in those areas, pornography, multiple sex partners, adultery, kids, uh, sex, all of that, that. Our society says those things don't matter. So I want to begin by giving you some scriptural background. And we're looking at uh, one of Paul's letters, Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians 1, Paul kind of gives an overview of, of looking at this subject. Uh, Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Listen to Paul's words. And this is my prayer, he writes, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, insight, you know, try to figure it out, try to understand it, so that you may be able to discern, there's another word, we're supposed to have insight and discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul says, let's use your brain, don't use your feelings. Let's use your brain. Uh, Try and figure out, discern, understand, figure out, What is best in the area of purity and obedience? What is the best for you? Okay, so that's where I want you to be thinking. For me, and you can think about your kids and your grandkids someday as well. For me, what's the best in this area of purity for me? Because God says, I, God, who is what? The one. Remember that sermon? God is the one. You know, we're looking for the one. Well, God is the one. Because he's the only one that can fill that God-shaped vacuum in our soul that will never be filled with a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. It never happened. That God-shaped So if God is the one and we're looking for the two, that spouse or that person we spend our life with, what does that look like when it comes to sexual purity? God says it matters very much. To be pure and blameless, it matters very much. So the question I would like to answer today, does sexual purity matter? And from God's word, there's a resounding, yes, it matters very much. And it matters because it matters to the one, to God, and it matters to the two. It matters to your spouse. And we'll talk about uh, those who are not married as well today. So, um, so, so that's kind of what we're gonna, where we're going to be going today. It matters to the, to the one, and it matters to each other. So three thoughts today, uh, if you're taking notes in your sermon outline today. Uh, three thoughts today, uh, that, and I'll start with the most basic, and that is this. Um, the one says that sexual purity matters. And so we're going to begin by looking at purity matters to God. Okay, in the Old Testament, the one, the Lord God Jehovah, asks a rhetorical question. Now, we just finished studying eight weeks in the book of Jeremiah. And one of the great verses in Jeremiah was when the Lord was asking this question about people. Now, the people of Israel had, they, they had gone off with adultery. Two, two major sins they had, idolatry, and infidelity. So, and by the way, throughout Scripture, those two things almost always go together. Okay? Idolatry and sexual, uh, lack of sexual purity almost always go together. So, they were fighting this thing with the Israelites, idolatry and also sexual uh, impurity. And so, this is what uh, the Lord says to those people. Jeremiah 6.15. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? He asks the question. No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. <laughs> now, this was written 2,655 years ago. And if it could be written today, right? I mean, today, we, we don't even know how to blush. I remember when I was a teenager, I um, was watching television. I think it was, I was like a junior in high school, maybe 1965, something like that. I was, I was 15 or 16 years old. And I remember the first time seeing a television commercial for Playtex bras. Never been on television before. Never had there been a woman on television in a bra. 
And there I'm sitting there. I'm 15, 16 years old. And I'm going. Now, I didn't stop looking, by the way. I wasn't that religious. You know, I just kind of. Finally, my mom said, Dwayne, get up and move away from the television. And I go, you know. But today, that's almost being fully clothed. Right? I mean, today, that's nothing. You know, it's, so have we learned, have we failed to learn how to blush? That's what the Bible tells us. So, so here, here's the deal. Uh, when I was a, a youth pastor, uh, like Pastor Brian many years ago, I spoke at a camp in Camp Alpine, because we lived in San Diego, and it was a, a junior, no, it was a high school uh, camp, and the, the theme of the camp was dating, sex, and marriage. And so I had the brilliant idea of asking the kids to submit questions that we would try and answer. Don't ever try that, okay? Because they're anonymous, right? So we get some real stuff here. So uh, they did that. We put all the questions together, and then we had a panel of youth pastors and pastors that were going to uh, try and answer those questions. The majority of the questions were some form of this. How far can I go? Same question kids are asking today, right? How far can I go? How far can I go and still be okay with God? How far can I go and still be okay uh, with my soul? How far can I go and, so that the girl doesn't get pregnant or there's an STD or something? How far can I go? That was the question in 1972. It's still the question today. In fact, it's the, it's the question that drives many of our kids, especially our Christian kids that really are trying to do things right. You say, well, how far can I go? So here's a great example. So there's this woman that had great wealth. And she had a beautiful car, and she was going to hire a driver to drive her car for her. You know, kind of like driving Miss Daisy. So she has these three guys, all had good resumes, line them up to ask them, okay, here she said, here's my beautiful car. I never want any scratches on it. Over here, this side of the driveway, there's this retaining wall, and it's, uh, you know, and, and she said, I'm, I'm a very... I'm very anxious about my car getting scratched. So she asked each of these drivers, how close to the wall can you get without scratching my car? And so the first guy said, I've been doing this for years. I guarantee you, I will always get that car within a foot, 12 inches of the retaining wall, and I'll never scratch it. Second guy said, that's, that's, I can do better than that. I've been a driver for a long time. I guarantee you, madam, if you hire me, I will get that car within six inches of the wall, and it'll never be scratched. The woman looks at the third guy and says, well, what about you? He said, Madam, I know how special this car is to you. I know how much it means to you. So here's my promise. I guarantee I would park as far away from that wall as I possibly can, and it'll never get scratched. And he was the one that was hired. Why is it that we think we have to get as close to the wall, as close to what can we get away with, whether it's sex or any kind of moral thing, what can we get away with and still not get scratched? What? What is it in us? See, because here's the question. It's not how close can I go in sex. Here's the question. How close are you to God? Now, I have counseled hundreds of people in my ministry. And I counseled a lot of people that have had multiple sex partners. Most of them felt guilty about it. Some of them didn't. But here's the deal. I never met one person who was kind of free and loose about their sexual partners. Not, not one of them that said during that time of their life they had a deep, close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, is that, a, is that a surprise at all to you? So what I'm saying is that when we don't have a good view, and when we're doing sex this way, the way the society says it, that means that we don't have a good relationship with the one. So there's something else. So if that's the case, this doesn't work. One, this isn't working. What do I do? 
God says, why don't you try this? And that's what I want to share with you today. So the ways that we can do that. So, so I go back to camp. So I love talking about camp. So uh, there's um, Jimmy is at junior high camp back in the early 70s. And Jimmy decided he was going to befriend a gray squirrel. And so Jimmy uh, has some food in his hand, and this gray squirrel comes up and gets closer and closer. Finally, clo- he eats out of his hand, and Jimmy, you know, pet, 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 and then stroke, stroke, you know, just kind of being nice to them. And then all of a sudden, the squirrel goes berserk. You know, and there's fur and there's fuzz and there's claws and fangs everywhere. And Jimmy's bitten on the face and the nose and scratches everything. Well, here's the moral to that story. Don't pet squirrels. That's really not the moral of the story, folks. <laughs> Don't see how close you can get to something that's going to bite you. Don't see how close you can get to the retaining wall. Why would you do that? When the, if the number one is in the correct place in your life, Why wouldn't you want to do things His way? Because here's the deal. God is not saying, I don't want you to enjoy sex. God created it. God says, I want you to enjoy sex. I want you to have the most fun, the most amazing time possible. But the only way to do that is within this confine, within this fireplace. You build a fire in the fireplace, you don't build it in your backyard. When you put it in this context, then you'll experience the joy and the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of this amazing gift that I've given you called sex. It's a different pathway. It's a different way of looking at it. And so purity, God says, really matters. So you have a girlfriend, and she looks good and she smells good. And, here, and so a teenage boy always asks this question, okay, how far can I go? Sometimes he'll ask her, sometimes he won't. Sometimes he'll just presume, how far can I go? Can we look at things a little bit differently? Put on your thinking cap. Instead of asking or thinking, how far can I go? Can we teach our children to say something like this? How much do I respect her? How much do I honor her? Now, she is a girl created in the image of God, and God says we're supposed to live like, be like God, right, when it comes to human beings. We are created in the image of God. She's a girl that's created. God loves her. God would never do anything to disrespect her. God would never do anything to dishonor her. Why would I? If I'm a Christ follower, if I want to follow Christ, why would I want to do anything that would just... See, it's a different way of looking at things. In Ephesians 5, and we've been looking at this passage because it talks a lot about marriage and relationships. In Ephesians 5, it sets the context by saying that I want you to be imitators of God. So when, whether we're married and we're dealing with our spouse, or we're out on a date, a 16 and a 17-year-old out on a date, if we're imitators of God, we are treating that person that date or that wife or that husband, we're treating that person the way that God treats us. With respect. With honor. Not making us do anything we don't want to do, but with respect and with honor. So in Ephesians 5, this is what it says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Let me stop there. What does that mean? Not even a hint of sex. And some of you are saying, well, that means that God doesn't want us to have fun. No. Just the opposite of that. Sexual immorality is this. It doesn't work. It leads to disease and death and divorce and everything else. It doesn't work. How about over here? I want you to avoid the the wall. I want you to park over here. Because the one says that you can experience this beautiful gift of sex if you go this way. So he says, you must not even have a hint of sexual immorality. I want something better for you, God says. Not something ordinary. This is ordinary and common. I want something better for you or any kind of impurity, it says in the verse, or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. God says, I'm not trying to keep something from you. 
I'm trying to give you something amazing. I'm trying to give you something wonderful. I'm trying to give you this gift that is so amazing. I created it. I didn't create it just for procreation. The Bible is very clear. I created it for procreation. I created it for recreation. And I created it for communication. That's what God wants for us. And that leads us to the next thing about sexual purity. And it's this. Intimacy matters to God. The one, God, says that intimacy matters. Society says, no, skin on skin. Man, we looked at that passage from Paul last week. Some people think that sex is just skin on skin. God says, no, 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 no. No, sex is much different than just skin on skin. It's completely different than skin on skin. So what is it, how is it different? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Um, what has changed in the last generation? Even before that, but especially in the last generation. Um, two things have changed our view of intimacy, in my opinion. The pill and pornography. Now, I'm not against birth control. I'm not a Catholic priest, so don't, uh, that's not me. I, I believe it's, it's great and there's a place for it and all of that. But the pill brings along the illusion of sex without consequences. Pornography brings the illusion of sex without intimacy. Both of these are so dangerous because sex without intimacy, skin on skin, is exactly what God is trying to get us. That's this pathway. It's just, you know, it's just animals. It's just copulating. Don't worry about it, okay? Right? Just, you know. But every one of you in here knows this, that when you give yourself to another human being, something happens. And it's not just skin on skin. There's something happens in your soul. And let me tell you a little bit about what that is. So um, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it says, if you, look, if you read the King James Version, the end of chapter 4 of, of Genesis, that it says that Adam knew Eve. Okay? Now, you guys know what that means? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. Adam knew Eve. In the King James Version, that word knew uh, was translated, I knew him, like K-N-E-W. I knew him. And it meant literally sex, sexual intimacy. You know, being with someone that way. And so... If you look at newer translations, the NIV says that um, Adam slept with Eve, you know, very PC. And in the New Living Translation, which I think is the best, it says Adam had sexual relations with Eve. Because that's what it means, so might as well say it, right? And so, uh, so that's what that means. And that word in the Hebrew, is, is uh, the word is yada. You know, Elaine Bennis, yada, yada, yada. Okay, yada, Y-A-D-A. It's pronounced yada. But it's much more fun for me, anyway, to say yada. So that's what we're going to call it. So yada, and what that translated means, it means sexual intercourse, but it means much more than that. Here's what it means. It means a soul connection. A soul connection. It means that there is this knowing, this intimacy, this physical, spiritual, soul connection that is like this. That is what we're called to. Not this, flesh on flesh, but this, something much better, yada. Body, soul, spirit. The Bible calls it two become one. Two become one flesh. That's the biblical view of intimacy. Two becomes one. So uh, this word yada, to to help you understand the power of it, uh, in Psalm 139, some of you are familiar with that uh, passage, it talks about how that we were made and loved and redeemed by God, even in our mother's womb. 
You know, it's a beautiful thing. That, that God knew us, even in our mother's womb, before we even conceived, God knew us. Guess what that word is? Yada. Yada. God knew us that way, that way that only God can know man, man can know God, that intimate way of body, soul, and spirit completely into God, filling that God-shaped vacuum in my life. And so listen to Psalm 139, a couple of verses. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know, yada, everything about me. Same word that's translated sexual intercourse in Genesis. Same word exactly. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. See the intimacy there of this between God and man? See the the passion, the beauty of a relationship with God? You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know, yada, everything I do. You know, yada, what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So here's what he said. Yada, 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 yada. (laughs) He said, you don't even begin to understand this amazing relationship that I have with my creation. This yada, body, soul, and spirit connection that God wants to have with you and with me. This beautiful, wonderful, amazing, enticing relationship. God said, I'm a jealous God. Don't you dare have other gods before me. That's kind of the relationship we're to have with our wives and our husbands. That jealous, holding on to that kind of relationship. And God says, I want you to, I want to know you that way. So when you see the word know or this, the word in the Old Testament is talking about sexual intercourse, it's not talking about skin on skin. It's talking about body, soul, and spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Now, some of you are going to say, oh, but that's kind of dumb because I've been with a lot of sexual partners and it hasn't really hurt me. Well, I'm not sure that's the case. As I said earlier, every person I've known that has had those kinds of experiences have felt this sense of grief or the sense of longing and they believe that when they were doing that they were not connected with the one they were not experiencing yada with the one because they weren't experiencing yada with another human being skin on skin because when you understand intimacy with the one that's when you understand intimacy with another human being you may think it's not affecting you but i promise you it affects your relationship with the one. So I just want to, I talked to our uh, teenagers in the first service. Our teenagers were in the service. Um, and, uh, but I, I just want to just touch bases on this just for a moment because I think this is an important subject. I had a lot of controversy around this subject today, even among, in the churches. So let me give you my take on it uh, from Scripture. And here's the controversial subject. What about premarital sex? Okay. Uh, I can tell you from experience when I was, actually, I, that's not the word, right? I to say it. Uh, I can tell you from my experience as a counselor that uh, of the 35 years I've been a pastor, I've seen a dramatic shift in that from about two-thirds of the young couples I was marrying who were, had been virgins when they got married to today it being only about 10% of couples that I marry, even kids that have grown up in the church. So our, our society has kind of overwhelmed us, and we are now what? <laughs> oh, that's the normal way to do it. Oh, okay, that's the common way to do it. Sleep around, take it for a test drive, see how it works out, and then maybe we'll find the two somewhere down the road. Okay, so, so there has to be something better than that. So here's what my take on premarital sex, just a couple of things. Number one, there's no such thing as safe sex outside of marriage. 
Okay, you may disagree with that, but that's what I believe. And really, all the research is on my side. There's only one way to avoid uh, any kind of problems that arise from sex with multiple partners. Pregnancy, abortion, STDs, the list is long. Okay, and that's called celibacy. It's called abstinence. They say, well, you mean you want me to be miserable all my life? No, I want you to do it God's way. You save yourself for the, for the woman or the man that you're going to be with, you do it God's way. So you don't have to worry about those other things. Because here, here's the deal. Condoms may be 95% effective for STDs and pregnancy, or maybe even lower than that. But here, here's another thing, and, and please understand this. Um, there's no such thing as a condom for your heart. Because when you make love, it's not just sex, but when you make love with somebody, it's body, soul, it's yada, it's body, soul, and spirit uniting. And God says, that matters to me because I want that yada with you, that relationship with you. That should matter to you and your relationship. So there's no such thing as safe sex outside of marriage. That's one take on premarital sex. Here's another one. It reduces a gift to an act. So many people say Hollywood especially portrays sex as an act. It's not an act. It's a gift. It's from God. It's a beautiful gift. It's holy. You know, it is so... To reduce that gift to the F word or doing someone, um, how insulting that is to a holy God who created sex and intimacy, who created yada, this pleasurable procreation, recreation, communication. That's what yada means. That's so beautiful. How, how, how silly it is of us to try and reduce that gift that God wants to give us to an act. And that just doesn't make any sense. We need to teach our kids this as well. And the third thing about premarital sex simply is this. Is as a Christ follower, you don't want to establish a pattern of compromise. So I, I've heard this uh, so many times. Well, Pastor Dwayne, we've been really good up till now. How close can we get to the wall? <laughs> we've been really good up to now. Uh, but now that we're planning on getting married, we're gonna, we're, we decided to go ahead and have sex. Yeah, well, okay, a lot of people make that decision. That's this pathway. I get it. You know, a lot of people make that. People that I know really well have made that decision. I get it. But here's the deal. When you get down to the destination, here's what you wake up one morning discovering. You know what? I'm a compromiser because I compromised. I didn't do this. I did that. I'm a compromiser. And guess what? I'm sleeping next to a compromiser as well. And so it, it, it affects. To think it doesn't affect you, it affects you. I, do you see how this plays out? Intimacy really matters. So let me talk for just a minute uh, to married couples. Um, Experts say that the number one thing we argue about is money. Number two thing we argue about is sex. And so it goes usually something like this. The guy says to his wife, "Uh, honey, um, I want more more, uh, physical intimacy. I want more sex. And his wife says, well, okay, pal, but I want more yada. Didn't you hear the sermon today? You know, so don't play that, by the way, this afternoon. Yeah, I want more. Yeah, another. I want more emotional intimacy. I want more connection with you. And so both have a valid, genuine point. Remember, gals, and this is maybe hard to hear, but it's true. When you're married in a marriage relationship, you are your husband's only legitimate source of sexual pleasure. Unless you want him going to the computer or something, and you don't want that, just remember that. I mean, I, that's a lot of responsibility, but it's true. And guys... Your wives need that emotional intimacy. They need to hear your heart and know who you are and all of that. So, so let me 
let me just say it this way, kind of a thing that I think this is a biblical principle that will play it out in the area of sexuality. Here's a really simple yet profound piece of advice. It doesn't matter what your spouse is doing or not doing. Now, I start by saying that because God loves us unconditionally. And so we're supposed to love our wives unconditionally. Our wives are supposed to respect us unconditionally. So it doesn't matter what your spouse is doing or not doing. This is for each of us that are married. Without strings attached, joyfully give your spouse what your spouse desires. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but if couple, married couples did that, we would end so many arguments and so much stress and pain and suffering in the relationship. Without strings attached, joyfully give your spouse what your spouse desires. Let me say it again. Joyfully, generously, unconditionally give your spouse what he or she desires. Now, I, I can read your minds, especially the gals. Yeah, but this guy's an idiot that I live with. Okay, unconditionally love your husband, joyfully, generously, unconditionally. Why? Because that's how God loves you. And we're supposed to love our spouses the way that Christ has loved us. We're supposed to forgive our spouses the way Christ has forgiven us. So you love them the way that they need to be loved, joyfully, unconditionally, generously, you give yourself to them. So that's just a little side note for those of us who are married. So here's what will happen when that happens. You'll create in your home uh, a sense of other-centeredness, a sense of joy, a sense of... um, You matter to me more than anything else. Even if I'm not feeling like I'm getting anything back, I'm still going to do the right thing for you because I made that commitment when I said my vows to you. And when God gives me that unconditional love, I'm going to pass that on to you. See, when you do that, your your, your household, the spirit in your household will literally change. So that's the second point, is that intimacy really matters to God. The last thing is this. Holiness really matters to God. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Did you hear that? Learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. That's flesh on flesh. That's the society telling us. It's not just the heathen. It's all of society telling us it's that way. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Now, when you hear this verse, if you grew up in a church like I did, you're always hearing, bad boy, shame on you. And that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying, listen, God says, I love you so much. Don't go this way. There's pain here. There's brokenness here. It doesn't work. 53% divorce. It doesn't work. Don't go here. Go over here. This gift I want to give you is so amazing. This gift of sexuality is fantastic. Go over here. Okay, that's what I want. So that's what God is saying to us. It's not about telling us how bad we are. It's telling us that there's a better way. So what does it mean to be holy sexually? A couple of things from that text. First is this. If I live a holy life, it is honoring to my spouse. Okay, the word holy means to be set apart, to be like put on a shelf, to be something to be honored, to be revered. Okay, so that honoring is to be set apart. If I live a holy life, it is honoring to my spouse. Now, l- let me give you, uh, give you an example of that. Um, so, I am honoring my wife with what I do with my head. 
as you know, most men are visually stimulated more than emotionally stimulated, and sometimes that leads to a lot of problems in terms of pornography, those kind of things. But here's the deal. Job, in the book of Job, even though his wife was somewhat of a, a, a rascal, a rascalette or whatever you call her, uh, but Job said this in, at one point in the book. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes that my wife would be the only one I see. You know, you know what he's saying there? And there's other parts of Scripture that talks about the same thing. In other words, I'm going to starve my eyes for my wife. I'm not going to be looking at pornography. I'm not going to be looking at nude pictures. I'm not going to be doing it. I'm going to stu- I make a covenant with God and with my eyes that she is my definition of beautiful and sexy. And that's what I'm going to do. So we can honor our spouse by the way we do this. By when we do this correctly, when you're with different partners, when you're involved in pornography, all of these things, it just minds all over the place. There's no honoring there to the one or to the two. Holiness matters to God. Some of you say, ah, but I'm not married. I got you, Pastor Dwayne. And I'd say, no, I got you (laughs) because you're listening, right? I'm not married. So here's this. Here's this deal. So let's say you're not married. Maybe you're a teenager, a young adult, or uh, someone who's been married before and is no longer married. And, and let, let's say, uh, and, 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 and you say, okay, I, I want to do it this way. I want to do it God's way. But the society's telling me I've got to do it this way. And this is really attractive this way right now. But I don't know about this. So here's the deal. I'm not married. So let's say six months from now, God brings into your life the two. That person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Or a year from now. Or five years from now. God brings into your life the two. The person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with in love. With this kind of Christ-like love that we've been talking about. This different pathway. And, and wouldn't this be amazing? I mean, wouldn't this be absolutely amazing to say something like this? Honey, I have kept my eyes pure and my body pure in anticipation of you. I've done everything I possibly could to remain pure and holy in anticipation of you. And I offer that as a gift to you right now. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing if our kids, if we could teach our kids to do this? Because so many of us have failed, but to have our kids do this? I have literally saved myself. I have done it God's way so that when we do get together and we do yada, we do body, soul, and spirit together, it is so amazing and so beautiful and so fulfilling. Wouldn't that be a wonderful gift to give to your future spouse? I love that. Holiness matters to God. Now, I was told once when I was in seminary that if you're running out of time, which I am this morning, he said, just make a beeline to the cross. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do right now. My notes, you know, for the rest of them, Tony, I'm not going to get to them. I'm going to make a beeline for the cross. And here's, where the, here's what you find at the cross. You found the, find the grace and the love of Jesus. Some of you, and let me speak to those of you who have been hurt. Some of you were sexually abused as children. Some of you have been sexually abused as adults. Some of you have been hurt terribly because somebody's not only done it this way they've done it underneath this way even worse than this way right can can we say to you that the cross of jesus christ says it's not your fault it's not your fault that's part of being in this broken world that's just ugly sometimes 
but you are a beautiful princess. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are pure. You are holy. In spite of what somebody did to you, you still are a child of the King. So for those of you who have been hurt, you need to hear that truth, that good news. It's not your fault that God loves you and He redeems you and He reconciles you to Him. The second group I'd like to talk to is probably the majority of us, and it's this. that We just haven't done it right. Whether it was doing the pathway, sex before marriage, an affair, something along the way that got us pornography, something got us off the road. Here, here's, the, here's the truth of what you need to hear from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. In the first service, in both services, Jim talked about a verse that was really important to him. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Jim, holler out that verse. There is nothing, did you hear that? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not your past, not your broken sinfulness from the past, not your sexual decisions from the past. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. That's that unconditional love. Here's what God wants you to do today. So many of us today is if you draw a spiritual line in the sand. You say, from now on, I'm going to do it God's way. My past is forgiven. My past is redeemed. God has blessed me. He is honoring me. He has redeemed me. He has delivered me. I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to do it God's way. And I'm going to teach my children to do it God's way as well. When we do that, that's when our society will change. That's when people will start understanding sex in the beautiful, godly way that he intended yada, not skin on skin, the Apostle Paul says, but this great body, soul, to become one flesh, beautiful creation that God says is human sexuality. Would you bow your heads with me, please?